Good morning. Good to be with you. Let me ask you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading at uh, verse 32. And I know the bulletin says through verse 2, which is what I told them. But I'm going to read through verse 3 of chapter 12. So Hebrews 11, verse 32, through chapter 12, and verse 3. Hebrews 11, verse 32, and what more shall I say? A statement made after the listing of all the heroes of the faith that we find in these previous verses. The writer of Hebrews asks, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart From us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, take your word. And speak to us, we pray. Give us ears to hear, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. Sixteen years ago, on a cold and rainy July afternoon, two friends and I stood in the American cemetery in the French province of Normandy. 172 acres containing 9,387 graves, plus a memorial 
listing the names of 1,557 missing in action. To the north of that cemetery, 150 feet below the cemetery, churns the English Channel and a wide beach forever known as Omaha. It was here on the 6th of June, 1944, nearly 73 years ago, that American soldiers waded ashore and were caught in a horrendous crossfire of Nazi weapons. My friends and I literally wept as we looked down on Omaha. We wept because, I assure you, if you stand there and look down on that beach, it is simply hard to imagine how anyone could have survived an amphibious assault on such an exposed stretch of sand. And of course, the truth is, many didn't. Tomorrow we celebrate Memorial Day. I hope you take the time to remember those who died, that you might live free. For by the Lord's grace, you're still free. Free to live godly and holy lives. Free to preach God's unchanging truths and still free to share your faith with others. In God's providence, in God's providence, your freedom was won and kept by those who served and some who died in our armed forces in defense of your freedom. If you have served in our armed services, I want you to stand up. Please stand up. If you've served in our armed services, then please stand up. It's sobering. During our 241 years, more than a million of our citizens died to win or keep our freedom. 6,200 died during the Revolutionary War. 4,500 died during the War of 1812. 4,200 during the Mexican War. More than 600,000 Americans slaughtered each other during the Civil War, or if you prefer, the war between the states. 2,500 died in the Spanish-American War, 112,000 in World War I, 405,000 in World War II, 54,000 in Korea, 58,000 in Vietnam, 300 during Desert Storm, and to date more than 4,000 in Iraq and the Afghan wars. I'm proud to tell you that my grandparents, 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 you got that? My grandparents, grandparents, grandparents fought in the American Revolution alongside Francis Marion, the Swamp Fox. If you're not from South Carolina, you may not know who that is. 
My grandparents' grandparents fought for the Confederacy during the war between the states. My great-grandfather served as a chaplain during the Spanish-American War. My grandmother's brother, Uncle Buddy, died in France and is buried there, died there during World War I. My Uncle Render, for whom I'm proudly named, died in the Pacific during World War II. And both my father and father-in-law served in the Pacific Theater of Operation. Fellow high school and college students died in Vietnam. Some of you may have served in Iraq and Afghan. One of our church members, one of the members of Covenant Presbyterian Church, Andrew Smith, lost both his legs fighting in Afghan, in Afghanistan, in defense of your freedoms. For me, for you, for all of us, these are heroes. But let me tell you about other heroes. Look at Hebrews 11. If you've closed your Bible, try opening it to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 31, we learn about other heroes, and I'll just list them quickly. We learn about other heroes, heroes of our faith. We learn about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and and Jacob and Joseph and, and Moses and Rahab. All of those in verses 1 through 31. Then come down to verse 32 where we began to read this morning. In verses 32 through 40, we find names that span Israel's history from the time of the judges to the time of the kings and prophets. In the book of Judges, we're told of Gideon's exploits against the invading Midianites. He started with an army of 32,000 that God reduced to a band of 300 men, and then using tactics of surprise and confusion, the Lord granted Gideon and his men victory despite impossible, impossible odds. Humble Barak, insisting that Deborah the prophetess accompany him, satisfied that God get the glory. He defeated the army of Japan in its 900 iron chariots, its 900 tanks, if you will. Samson, despite all of his sinful inconsistencies, was used by the Lord to pummel the Philistines. Jephthah, the illegitimate son of a prostitute, was used by the Lord to defeat the invading Ammonite hordes. And then in First and Second Samuel, we're told how the Lord led David from victory unto victory, securing Israel's border and, and peace for his people. And then prior to David's reign, of course, Samuel, as both prophet and judge, he defeated the Philistines. And then beginning with Samuel, the Lord raised up one heroic prophet after another, prophet, prophets who were unafraid to speak the truth despite the opposition and hatred, hatred of even their own people. Prophets such as Elijah and Elisha and Jonah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Zechariah. 
Look at verses 33 and 34. In Hebrews 11, verses 33 and 34, these men, these women, they are described as heroes. It describes these heroes as men and women who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Well, as you know, you look at that list, you know, stop and think about it. It was Daniel who was thrown into the lion's den because he refused to stop praying to the Lord. But the Lord protected Daniel by closing the mouth of the lions. It was Daniel's companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know who that is? Sadly, they're better known by their heathen Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I much prefer that we use their God-given Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But at any rate, those are the ones for whom the Lord quenched the flames of the fiery furnace into which they were tossed because they would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol of gold. And it was prophets like Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah who, who escaped the sword, who escaped the sword of a, of a queen and escaped the sword of two kings. Look at Hebrews 11.35. We're told of women receiving back their dead by resurrection. It was through Elijah that the Lord raised up the son of the widow of Zarephath. It was through Elisha that the Lord brought back from the dead the son of the Shunammite. Now note, look at verse 34. We're told of those made strong in weakness. And in the middle of verse 35, we're told of those who were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Now stay with me here. In the first century A.D., the church father, a man whose presence we will thoroughly enjoy in the world to come, the church father Clement of Rome, in the first century, he wrote a commentary on those verses. And he wrote that commentary against the background of his familiarity with Jewish history. And it's Clement of Rome who suggested that two of those who were made strong in weakness were Esther and Judith. Now, you remember Esther. I mean, Queen Esther, at the risk of her own life, she appeals to King Ahasuerus of Persia for the life of her people. You know that story. Judith's story isn't in Scripture, but it's part of Jewish history. Early in the 6th century, Judith risked her own life by using her feminine charms to allure a Babylonian general whose armies were besieging her town. She got him drunk. Then she used his sword to cut off his head, which his soldiers found rather disconcerting. And with their general dead, 
the Babylonian army withdrew from Judith's town and the lives of its people were spared. Now look at verse 35. Clement, this first century writer of a commentary, Clement also suggests that verse 35 speaks in part about a man named Eleazar. Eleazar lived in the early 2nd century B.C. A Seleucid ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. 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 The very appearance of God. It's quite a name to take to yourself. This Seleucid ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes, tried to force Israel to deny God's holy laws and embrace Greek culture. But Eleazar, refusing to do so, was placed upon the rack and tortured to death. And following his death, his mother and his seven sons were also tortured and killed because they refused to forsake the Lord their God. And one of his sons, as he lay dying upon the rack, boldly told his tormentors, you dismiss me from this present life, but the king of the universe will raise me up to an everlasting reward of life. Wow. Look forward to meeting that young man. Now look at verses 36 and 38. Here we're told that others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and, and caves of the earth. If you look back a moment, or just listen to me for a moment, back in chapter 10, verses 32 through 35, back in chapter 10, verses 32 through 35, we're told of men and women who endured a hard struggle with something, with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. They had compassion on those in prison, joyfully accepting the plundering of their property, since they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. Now, as the original audience for whom the book of Hebrews was written heard or read those words, those words hit close to home for them because they were suffering persecution at the hands of their fellow countrymen. Now look again at verses Hebrews 11, back in Hebrews 11, look at verses 36 through 38. According to Jewish history, Jeremiah was mocked, flogged, chained, imprisoned, and then died by stoning. According to Jewish history, the prophet Isaiah was sawn in two by the wicked king Manasseh of Judah. Jeremiah's fellow prophet Uriah was slain by the sword at the command of King Jehoiakim of Judah, of Judah, of the house of David. 
Elijah, Elisha, and Ezekiel went about in sheepskins, often forced to live in desolate places. And as the writer of Hebrews testifies, the world was not worthy of them. I've suffered almost nothing for the cause of Christ. I'm grateful for that. I don't long for suffering. But I am moved to pause when I read all of this and think about all of this and remember and perhaps take time tomorrow on Memorial Day to remember these heroes of your faith. These heroes who suffered and died ignominiously because of their love for God. I hope you realize that such heroes are still with us. They're still with us. Do you know, do you realize, do you understand that during the last 100 years, during the last, the past 100 years, more followers of Christ have been martyred for their faith than in all the previous centuries combined. Now look at verse 39. Here we're told, after being told of all of their heroics, you have to pause when you come to verse 39. Because here we're told that none of these Old Testament heroes of the faith received in their lifetime the promise of God. What promise? Well, not just... A promise, the promise, the promise by which all God's people are finally made perfect. What promise? The promise of the hero of all heroes. The promise of the coming Messiah. The promise of the Christ. The promise of Jesus. Look at Hebrews 12, too. Here we're told that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. The hero, the hero of heroes. The hero who, having no sin, took your sins upon himself and then in your place suffered the horrors of crucifixion and the even worst horror of momentary separation from God the Father in order to pay the penalty for your sinful rebellion against the one by whom and for whom you were made. The hero 
who by his death freed you, freed you from the tyranny of sin's curse and power, and then rose victoriously from the dead, guaranteeing for you life eternal. The hero who promises never to leave or forsake you, but to be with you always. Now, having told you all of that, having told you about these heroes of the faith, the writer of Hebrews concludes in chapter 12, verse 1. He says to you, since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since you are surrounded by the example of all of these heroes, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before you, looking to Jesus. And do so. Do so knowing, as you're told in verse 3 of chapter 12, do so knowing that Jesus, who endured the hostility of a sinful world, that Jesus now equips enables and empowers you to live like heroes. He equips, enables, and empowers you to not grow weary or faint-hearted. Back in, and don't take the time to turn here, but back in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, the Lord promises... The Lord promises that he will supply you not with the weapons of this world but with his divine power so that you might victoriously, heroically win the battle with sinful desires and the wickedness of this fallen world. How is this battle to be won? How is this victory to be heroically achieved? What a startling contrast between Christianity and Islam. How is this battle to be won? How are we to heroically achieve the victory? Not by acts of terrorism, but by dying. How is this battle to be won? How is this victory to be achieved? By offering up your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I am yours. Do with me what you will. How is this battle to be won? How is this victory to be achieved? By lovingly praying 
for your lords and your enemies. By lovingly praying for his enemies, for your enemies, as you serve them in his name, as you share with them his unchanging truth. And you do so in love. That's how this battle is to be won. That's how this victory is to be achieved. We die to ourselves. We offer ourselves up as living sacrifices to the Lord. And then we pray for our enemies. We lovingly pray for his and our enemies as we serve them in his name, as we share with them his unchanging truth in love. Will they gladly receive what we try to do for them? I don't know. Will they be grateful if we try to share with them the truth? As you all know, quite often that will not be the case. But that's how we achieve the victory. That's how we heroically win the battle. By dying to ourselves, living for the Lord, and living for others. Therefore, I challenge you. I challenge myself. I challenge myself almost every day with this thought. Call upon the Lord to equip, enable, and strengthen you so that you will be able, with the Apostle Paul, to testify, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. By God's grace, be a hero. Live heroically. Strive in his strength, by his divine power, to battle against the sins that so easily entangle us and to stand against the lies that so horribly darken our world. And to do so by dying to yourself, by living for him, by living for others. Do so for the sake of his glory, for the good of his people, and for the temporal and eternal welfare of others. Be a hero. Let's pray. Father, teach us these truths. Impress them upon our minds and our hearts. Father, give us a holy boldness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.